Well, amen. Good to see you today. How's everybody? Oh, let's try it again. How's everybody doing? All right, that's great. Hey, I, uh, I want to tell a story. I heard about a blonde woman. Any blondes in the house? Real blondes? Okay, I heard about a blonde woman who was uh, speeding. She was pulled over by a female police officer who was also blonde. And uh, the police officer came up, and she said, uh, could I have your driver's license? And she said, what does it look like? And she said, well, it's square, and it has your picture on it. So she dug around in her purse for a while, and she found her mirror, and she looked at it, and she handed it to the officer. The officer looked at it and said, oh, I didn't realize you're a policeman. You can go. That's funnier than that. I mean, I at least want a courtesy laugh once in a while, amen? All right, well, anyway, good to see you. You know, I love the miracle stories of God. I love what God is doing. And uh, periodically I'll get a text from somebody about a miracle. Sometimes the miracles happen here. Sometimes the miracles happen, you know, at your home. And you, you send us a, a word and say, hey, this is what God did. Let me just share this one with you. This one came from Marissa Downs, Brandon Marissa. And uh, they are uh, both Anaheim police officers here in our church. And great people, but um, they have a couple of boys, Brock and Drew, and she said this. She said, Brian and I have always taught Brock and Drew about praying and healing and about God. They pray for each other all the time. When they get sick, have an owie, Brock had been sick for the last two days and had been praying for God to heal him. He came in this morning super excited and said, God touched his arm last night at midnight, and now he isn't sick. Just, a th just thought I would share this because that is a big part of what he's learning at Children's Church. Let me tell you, let me tell you why that's really, really powerful. Um, and she accompanied a video. You, you, if you see the video, it even makes it more powerful. But let me tell you what makes that so significant is this. I want you to think about what you're doing at three, four, five, or six, seven years old. What was the pattern of your spiritual walk? What was the, what was the commitment you had to prayer? to understanding the things of God when you were five, six, or seven years old. Some of you may have been raised up in the heritage of the Lord, and God uh, blessed you with parents who taught you how to pray and intercede before the throne of God. But if you were like me, and I, I suspect like most of us, we did not have that experience. Our experience maybe was to go to church, and our experience was maybe to go, you know, into a Sunday school classroom and maybe to, to sit with our parents and sing uh, a worship song or two. But for most of us, that was not our experience. But let me tell you, when you begin to see not just those two boys, but you begin to see our entire children's ministry who are being taught that God is the God of today, not just the God of yesterday. That God is the God that works miracles today, not just yesterday. When you see those pictures where Pastor Kara takes those kids out to the prayer wall and they're standing there with their hands on that wall and they're putting prayer requests into that wall, you realize we're raising up a different generation, a generation that's going to move up through, the, through that grade school and into junior high and into high school and into college and it's it's going to be a different generation that is coming. And I believe that God is doing a work in our day that we would not believe if told. God says, I'm raising up some end-time warriors, some people that are going to stand strong in the midst of a storm that is coming, but they're not going to be touched by the storm because the power of God is going to be all over them, and the ark of God is going to protect them, and we are going to raise up a tabernacle of David and give him glory and give him praise. Can you say amen to that? You know, I want you to know this truth, that you are an overcomer, whether you feel like one or not. 
You see, you're an overcomer not because you've overcome, not because all things have gone well for you. You are an overcomer because of what Jesus Christ did. Now, I want you to think about it like this. When Jesus Christ died, it was to the joy of the enemy. When he rose from the dead, it was shock and awe all the way. Because when he came from that grave, you know what he did? He gave you victory. He imparted to you the victory of the grave, and over every problem and trial and every situation you'll ever face in your life, he became your strong tower. You are already an overcomer. And what you have to do is you have to start rehearsing that in your mind. You have to start rehearsing that in your spirit and say, I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. You say, see, too many times Christians, what they do is they, they talk about how bad the world is and how difficult things are in life and the challenges, and, and they go, oh, I just can't believe how bad the world is. The world is supposed to be bad. We're supposed to be good. We're supposed to be transformers of society. We're supposed to usher in the presence of God in the midst of the worst kind of situations so people understand the God that we serve is a God who is alive and not dead. Amen. So we are overcomers, and faith is your greatest asset. Your greatest asset is not your talent. It is not your family. It is not where you live. You say, I just thank God where I live. It doesn't matter where you live. That's not your great asset. Your greatest asset is faith. When you have faith, and you know, faith is, is something that you don't see. I walk by faith, not by sight. Anything you're doing by sight is not by faith. Now, now, just think about that. Anything you're doing that is not by faith, you're walking by sight, and sight is contrary to faith. That means if I understand what God is up to, then I'm probably got some, I've got, I'm probably walking by my own insight instead of the spiritual sight that comes from the Spirit of God in my heart. What we want to do is walk by faith. You say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. Your life's spinning out of control. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. God, I don't know where the, the next dollar, the next job, I don't know where it's going to come. God, I trust you. I refuse to doubt. My life can go up, down, and around and around, but it's not going to go out of your presence because I trust you in the Lord. Amen? I trust in the Lord. Your destiny is greater than you can imagine. You see, everything God is doing is he's shaping you to get you right for your destiny. You can resist it. You say, I don't like my destiny. I don't like what God's doing. God will bring you back to the place that he wants you to be. It may not be comfortable. Remember Jonah, his prophet Jonah, he did not, he did not want to follow God. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. God said, I want you to go over there to Nineveh, to the Assyrians. I want you to preach to them. I want you to tell them to repent. Uh, and, because I'm going to wipe them out. Jonah hated the Assyrians so bad, he went down, got on a boat, and took off. And guess what? A storm arose, and the captain, the sailors, the, everybody on the ship, they were alarmed. What is going on here? They thought the problem was the weight. They began to throw stuff off the boat to lighten the ship, right? The problem was not the captain who was lost. The problem was not the shipmates who were probably lost. The problem was not the ship or the cargo. The problem was the reluctant prophet who refused to follow after God. So what did God do? He disrupted everybody's life in order to get Jonah to do what Jonah needed to do, and that was to go to Nineveh. Guess what? Some of you are experiencing the disruption in your life because God's just trying to disrupt some things to get you to do what God wants you to do. You say, well, I don't want to do it. God will work that out. Trust me. God has a plan, and it never is easy. 
Listen to this. This is an amazing scripture. That Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Now, let me tell you something. If Jesus needed that, what do I need? You say, well, I thought he was the perfect son of God. He was, but he learned obedience. As a man, he learned obedience through the difficulties of life that challenged him to be what God wanted him to be. Today, I want you to talk to you about the presence of God in this invisible war that we're fighting. All around us, there's, there's just spiritual currents that are, that are moving in every direction. We don't see them, and we assume sometimes it's just all about coincidence. Let me tell you something. There, if you believe in a sovereign God, there are no coincidences. God is working in your world to accomplish something, and we're going to show you that tonight. But you are responsible to guard the presence of God. You see, we have to guard the presence of God in our own life. We have to guard the presence of God in this house. We can't ever assume that the presence of God is always just going to be guarded without us. We have to guard that presence in a powerful way. I want to take you to Psalm chapter 78 and verse 9. It says this, the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. What an unusual scripture. This tribe of Ephraim, let me kind of give you a little background. Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim. Joshua was a warring tribe. And it says here of the tribe of Ephraim, they had all the equipment they needed. They had, they had the weapons, but when the time came to battle, they refused to fight. It sounds a lot like Christians, doesn't it? We find ourselves in, in facing a battle. We have everything we need, but we say, no, the battle looks too scary. I'm going to turn and go the other way. I don't want to engage in the battle. Part of the battle you're going to engage in is the battle of prayer. You will win more victories in prayer than you'll win apart from prayer. You've got to be in the middle of prayer to see what God can do in your life. Now, I'm going to show you, take on this story and explain a little bit. So Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim. Remember Joshua? Joshua was that one that took over after Moses, and he led the people into the promised land. The first city they would fight against would be Jericho. Remember the walls fell in Jericho? Well, Ephraim was given a responsibility when they went into the land. Ephraim was to care for the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant was in the tabernacle of God. It was a holy, it was a symbol of the holy presence of Almighty God. Well, Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, was to be their guards. And guess what they did? When they came into the land, they took, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they took it down to a little village called Shiloh. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. This is very, very powerful because Shiloh is a place, Shiloh is a promise, and Shiloh is a person. Today, we're only going to talk about the place. We'll just refer a little bit to the promise and the person. But they take the Ark of the Covenant down to Shiloh. You see, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't originally in Jerusalem. So they take it down to Shiloh, and for 369 years, the Ark of the Covenant was in Shiloh. The people brought their sacrifices to Shiloh. They worshiped God from Shiloh. The presence of God fell in Shiloh. And then a situation arose. It's recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4, what happens is there's Hophni and Phinehas and their father Eli, who's the priest. And they were given the, the responsibility to guard the presence of God, to guard the ark of God, like you're given the responsibility to guard the presence of God. But guess what? They weren't very good at guarding the presence of God. The tribe of Ephraim was there. They were given the responsibility to guard the presence of God. 
All of a sudden, the Philistines, the enemies of God, came in, and they began to, to raise their voices, and they began to threaten the nation of Israel. And Israel became alarmed. They became afraid, just like you do when, when situations come and you say, what am I going to do and where is God? And so what they did was they said, get the ark of God. Get the ark of the covenant. We'll take it out to the battle, and that will scare every one of the Philistines away. And what happened when they brought the ark out, the, the Philistines said, God is among us. They had more insight into the ark of God than the tribe of Ephraim had. They brought the Ark of the Covenant into the battle, and the Philistines rose up, and they took the Ark of the Covenant, and they took it back with them, and they lost the Ark of God. And the Bible says the glory departed from Shiloh. And watch what God did. God took and transferred the responsibility of guarding the Ark of God. He took it away from Ephraim, and he gave it to the tribe of Judah. He took it away from Shiloh, and he gave it to Jerusalem. You see, if you don't guard the presence of God, God will give it to another who will care for, guard, protect, and value the presence of God. Because the miracles we've seen happen in this place have only happened because of his presence. They haven't happened because of anyone with some special gift. It hasn't happened because we just got lucky. It hasn't happened for any other reason except for God in his mercy decided to give his presence. The fact that we have this building after, you know, and just we're just two years into this building, the fact that God gave, literally gave us this building is only because we've been faithful to host the presence of God. It's not because of me and my ability or you or your ability. It has nothing to do with man. It has everything to do with God. I keep a chronology of what God has done over the last four years since we started this church. And I was reading through it last night. I like to go back and read. And, and I was reading through some of them, and I was weeping over some of it because how difficult sometimes were. And as I read through it, I just started got a smile on my face of how God came through and how God just shifted. And I had miracles in there, and I thought, God, I forgot about that miracle. I forgot you, you did that, God, in the last minute. You just came through with something. We put a list of the chronology of some of the highlights that we've seen over the last four years on the, the back of that handout that you got when you came in because we want you to remember what God has done. You see, when you're going through a particularly tough time, you, you think everything is about the present. You forget about the God of the past as the God of the future. You have to remember the future. The future is all intact. God already knows your future from the beginning. Everything is in place for God. God just says, walk with me and host my presence and guard my presence, and I'm going to be with you. In this invisible war that you're in, don't you worry about it because I've got it all under control. Here's the truth I want you to get is this one. We are to host the presence of God in this house, this place, and we are to host the presence of God in this house, this temple of the living God. You will guard what you treasure. You will guard what you treasure. There are things that you have at home that may not be valuable to somebody else, but they're val valuable to you. And you find a way to hide them and protect them. You might put them in a safe deposit box. You might put them in, in a secure place. You might just put them out of sight. But you guard it because it's valuable to you. Let me ask you something. Do you value the presence of God in your own spirit? If you do, you will guard it. You will protect it with your very life. 
You see, God will give you the measure of his presence that you're faithful to guard. God will not give you more of his presence unless you faithfully guard what he's already given you. And if you're faithful to guard that, God will give you more of his presence. You see, when you, when you look at life through the eyes of man and you say, God, where are you? What are you doing? You're denying the presence that's already there. When you affirm the presence, you say, God, something like this, God, I don't know what you're doing and I don't know what you're up to, but I trust you anyway. And I'm going, going to trust you that the presence of God is going to be here and fall on me, that it's going to be thick. If you look at that Hebrew word for the word glory, it's the same word we get the word presence. It literally means something that is thick. It is something that is heavy. When the presence of God surrounds you, when, it's, when you walk into it, you go, wow, that's heavy. There's something there. It almost feels tangible. And the nice thing about the presence of God, you, can, you say, well, how do I get the presence? You just simply, God, may your presence just be around me right now. I mean, I, I can just right now just say, God, let your presence come on me, and I can literally physically feel the presence of God. And, and you can do the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's no respecter of persons. Ours is the greatest day to ever be alive. I was reading in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9, and it says the, the latter glory of the house will be greater than the former. And as I was reading that, it was like the Spirit of God just gave me a word. He said, the glory that you've had in the past three-plus years, four years of this church is only minor compared to the glory I'm going to give you in the days ahead. And then he said, the glory that you've had in all of your past ministry is only minor to the glory I'm going to give you in the future. You see, the promises of God, amen, the promises of God only become applicable when you lay claim to them. All the promises of God are conditional. Every promise of God is conditional. If you will, he will. Every one of them. They're all conditioned. What will you do? If you will trust me, I will do this. All who call upon the name of the Lord, here's the promise, will be saved. What do I have to do? Call upon the name of the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. There's what I do, and he will give his eyes your heart. That's what he does. You see, all those promises are conditional, but their condition is I lay claim them, not just saying, but I believe them. I put my arms around them. I embrace them as my own. The invisible affects us in a lot of ways. It affects the way we think. Have you ever, have you ever just kind of been sitting around thinking about something, and you get a random, horrible thought? You go, where did that come from? It wasn't conscious. You didn't try to do it. Nobody spoke it into you. You just said, where did that come from? It came from the prince of the power of the air. See, the enemy will send thoughts into your mind because if he can control your thinking, he'll soon control your actions. So this random thought will come on. I even have him in prayer. I'm praying, man, I am loving God. I'm saying all the right stuff. My heart's right. And I'll get the worst thought in the, in the world. And I think, where did that come from? It came from the enemy. See, he wants to take away my power. He wants to take away my joy because he can't take away my salvation. He wants to destroy what God is doing in me so that I, so he, so he messes up my destiny. And I can't be what God wants me to be because I'm always trying to fight this, this battle with, a, with an enemy that's already been defeated. Amen? Graham Cook put it like this. We are citizens of heaven residing on earth a truth that provokes us into a new perspective, a better way of thinking. If you see yourself as a citizen of heaven, it changes the way you look at life. 
If you see that everything you're doing here on planet Earth is, is just preparing you for an eternal weight of glory far beyond what you could ever ask or think, then this life looks different. Now I'm in training. I'm in warrior training. God is equipping me here for what I'm going to do there and then in his kingdom because his eternal kingdom is far bigger than what I could ever imagine. We also have to, if we're going to really be battling in this, this war, we have to control what we say, how we speak. Have you ever been in one of those conversations where things are clearly going south? Let me see your hands. You've been in a conversation, clearly things are clearly going wrong, and you're going, man, I don't, this does. How, how do you feel when, that, when you're done with that conversation? You feel good? Go, man, I just love being in negative conversations. I just love just having my spirit crushed, and I love talking about things and people. And, and you never walk out going, I just love Jesus. You never do. You have, to, you have two choices in that situation. You either have to say, I got to turn this conversation or I got to leave this conversation because you have to guard the presence of God in your heart. If you don't guard the presence of God in your heart, nobody cares to, if they rip it out of you. Even Christians don't care if they destroy the presence in you. They're so driven by, by being right or by talking that they don't care about the presence. You have to guard it. It's your responsibility, not theirs. When you guard that presence, it, it has to do with what you speak and what you think. But listen to this, what Patricia King, the word says, the, the words you speak creates your world. You speak life and life comes. You speak death and death comes. You speak love and love comes. We've only begun to plumb the depth of the love of God. Tammy and I were talking about this the other day. We were at the Revival Alliance Conference in Pasadena at HROC, and as we were there, we were just talking about the love, and, and as she talked about going deeper in the, in the love of God, and, and as she was saying it, I thought, you know, I think I know like this much about the love of God. I can preach about it this much, but I think I only know maybe this much of it. And I, and I just I felt like this really good feeling like, but, of God saying, but I can give you more of that. God, that's what I want. I want more of that, God. I want, I want to be able to be a vessel of love, the love of God for other people. And I know it, it has to do with the way I think. It has to do with the way that I speak. It has to do with the way we live, the way we live out our life. Carolyn Leaf, who's going to be with us in, uh, in January, and she's, uh, or in March, I guess, for the, the women's conference coming up next year, and, and then she'll, she'll stay over and, and speak on Sunday that morning, and, and so will Lisa Brevere and John. They're going to be with us, too, that whole weekend. We have a whole weekend planned next year where we're going to have all these speakers for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and worship and all of that great stuff going on. It's going to be fantastic, and we are excited. I'm, this last year was so great, and tonight, hey, can I just do a shout-out and say, Kim? Walker, God bless you. We are so glad to have you, and we're looking forward to the concert tonight. And she just, she just, uh, just really blessed us at this last conference, and now she's come back for a concert tonight. We're so excited about that. But listen, listen to what Carolyn Leaf said. It is with our minds that we reject or we believe the lies of the enemy. You, it's your mind. No wonder the Bible says that we are to put on the helmet of our salvation. No wonder the Bible says we are to renew our mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind. See, that's, that's, where the, that's where the battles are won. 
We also have to live boldly and consistently for God. Let me take you a little bit further into the story. Psalm 78 and verse 10, they did not keep the covenant. This is talking about the tribe of Ephraim, and they refused to walk in his law. See, when you say no to what Jesus is saying, then you miss out on the opportunities and the blessings he has for you. See, God is not a controlling God. Just the opposite. God wants to give you the freedom to live out your life in the power of the Spirit so you enjoy all the blessings of God. But what happens sometimes, we say, I don't, I don't really know if I want to keep the covenant with God. I don't know that I really want to walk in his ways. And when we choose to do that, what, what we really do is we lose out. We become, we become peasants in the kingdom where the king wants to give us all the riches of glory. When we make a commitment to God and confidence in battle begins to come to us. You see, commitment and confidence go together. When I say I'm committed to you, God, what God does is he grazes confidence in me, and then I go into battle as a victory. I don't go into battle as a, as a loser. I go in as a victor. The Bible says the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Do you want to be bold like a lion? You see, the Bible says just move deeper into the heart of God. Move deeper into the righteousness of God. You say it's so difficult. It's really not difficult. You've tried it and it's found difficult and you say, I don't want it. No, go into the heart of God and say, God, would you transform me? Give me the courage I need. D.L. Moody put it like this, when we find a man meditating on the words of God, you ever just pause and meditate on his word? I have guys tell me, I don't have time to study the Bible. You don't have time not to study the Bible. It is the mind and the character of God. The words of the Lord are eternal. They're fixed in the heavens. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Everything God does, he does by the word. He spoke the, word, the world into existence by his words. He revealed to us the living word in Jesus, and he gave us the written word. He will judge all mankind by the word. It says when Christ returns, Revelation chapter 19, out of his mouth will come a sharp two-edged sword. That's the word, which is the word of God, it tells us. By your words will you be judged. You will be judged by every idle word. You see, words are creative. Words are given to us, given to man to be creative. And when we create good, God blesses it. When we create bad, then we see the consequences of that. He says, meditating on the words of God, my friends, that that man is full of boldness and successful. D.H. Lawrence, the essayist, said this, men fight for liberty and they win it. And with hard knocks, their children brought up easy, let it slip away again, and their grandchildren are slaves once more. See, there are no second-generation Christians. There's no kid that is going to, to have his own God encounter apart from that one with God. You can't carry that for your children. And what you have to do as, as parents, you have to raise them up in that nurture and the admonition of the Lord so they understand God. You see, unfortunately, in our society today, our children know more about soccer than they know about God. They're more time on a soccer field than they are in a God world. And then we're shocked somewhere down the road when they're 16, 17, or 20 years old, and they say, I really don't want to follow after God anymore. They never were following after God. They were just there because of you, because of your pressure. 
You see, we have to introduce our children to that walk with God that is so attractive that that presence just draws them in. It draws them in deep into the heart and the mind of God. See, the problem is the Philistines are shouting while the church is weeping. They got the Ark of the Covenant. They brought the Ark of Covenant into their camp, and they thought they were now controlling God, and they were shouting. They were happy, and the church sits around and going, what are we going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to bring the presence of God into every situation. You're going to live out so powerfully your life for God that everybody around you is going to be affected and drawn into the very presence of Almighty God. Remember that we we need to recall the supernatural acts of God. We need to remember what God is up to. When I just stop and think about what God has done, I know that that God of yesterday is a God of today and a God of tomorrow. What did God do in your life? What's the greatest thing God's ever done in your life? Think about that and think, God, I want you to do that tenfold. God, I want to be greedy for your presence. And when you give me, whatever you give me, I'm going to hold on to, God. I'm not going to let anybody get it and steal it away from me. I'm going to, I'm going to guard it with my very life. Psalm 78 and verse 11 says this, And they, that is Ephraim, forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Have you forgotten what God has done? I want to talk to you a little bit about the doctrine of, of concurrence. That's a weird doctrine. You say, I've never heard that doctrine. I'm going to explain it to you. You know the Scripture says that God works all things the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Right? Have you quoted that? Have you, I've even heard newscasters quote that. And they'll quote only part of it. They'll say, God works all th- they'll say all things work together for the good. And they leave out the God and they leave out the next part. It says, God works out all things to the good not to everyone, only to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, you can be a Christian and not fully love God. In fact, in Revelation, he says, you've left your first love, right? So that means that you can be a Christian and not all things in your life are working out for the good because you've left your first love, and that love relationship is what makes all things work out together for the good, It says, to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. You're called according to his purpose, but loving him is your choice. Once you come into the kingdom, you're a part of his kingdom, and and now you've got this relationship with God. He says, would you love me every day? And sometimes when I'm worshiping, I'm I'm sitting here, and and I just get this little I don't know whether it's a vision or a mental picture. I don't really know what it is. And it's, it's, it's actually, I just see it up here. It's, it's just this picture of Jesus on the throne. And there's throngs and throngs of people, and they're singing these praises unto God, holy is the Lord and great is the Lord, and they're singing new songs. You know, I, I think the amazing thing about heaven is that we'll sing a new song. I just think that no song gets sung twice in heaven, right? you got to learn a new song all the time. And this new song, and, and I see myself there, and, and most of the time I see myself at the very back of the throng of people. I'm as far back as you can get, and I look, and Jesus just looks miniature. And I'm back there not because I can't get closer, but because I feel so unworthy of him. And I'll, sometimes I'll just say, God, I just want to get closer. And he says, come. And I said, but God, I don't feel worthy to come closer. You know, the one thing you have to fight against is who you are on the inside and how you feel about yourself, the way that you look at you instead of the way God looks at you. 
And then I'll see Jesus will be sitting there, and he's just like majestic and sitting in this throne, and I'm back in the very back, and all of you are in front of me. Really, everybody's in front. I'm in the last guy. You know, I'm like the guy who comes to church for the first time and sits as far back as he can. In case it goes south, he can get out of here quick. And I'm back there, and then I see Jesus just look at me, and my eyes catch his eyes, and he does this. And I slip up a little bit. I get maybe five feet closer. And I hear him just say, I want you closer. I say, but there's not room. And, and he just says, there's always room. There's always room to get closer. And some days, not always, but some days I find myself right up at the front of the throne. And I say, here I am, Jesus. And it feels so good. And I feel the warmth of your spirit and the life that you give. And he says, this is where I want you all the time. I said, but what about all the other people? He said, everybody's as close as they want to get. Everybody's as close as they want to get. You see, in the divine kingdom, time and space have no bearing on mankind. Everybody can be as close to Jesus as anybody else and never be crowded. See, time and space only have to do with this created world. The eternal world doesn't govern by the same thing. I always like to use the illustration. I said, how many of you think I could walk through that wall over there? Just raise your hand. You think I could walk through that wall? Just raise your hand if you think I can walk through that wall. A couple of believers, most of you are Thomas. What if I promised you I could walk through that wall? I promised you I could walk through that wall. There's just one condition I need. Time can't have a bearing on me. So I walked through that wall in the year 2000 because that wall was built in the year 2001. See, the reason Jesus could pass through the wall in the upper room was because time was not a constrictor to him. Do you realize when you enter into the presence of God, time is not an issue. Space is not an issue. Problems are not an issue. Challenges are not an issue because all the promises of God become yes in Jesus. That's why when we live under this open heaven, what happens is everything that is, everything that is available in heaven is available here on earth. We restrict it by saying, I don't think so. Too big, too great. No, it's never too great, never too good. So what we do is when, in, when you get into your spirit, this is why prayer is so powerful, so much more powerful than preaching, so much more powerful than worship. Because when you get into this presence of prayer, what you're doing is you're coming into the presence of God and you're leaving all the constrictions of time and space and you're entering into his divine presence where all the promises of God are yes. And when you taste that, you know how good it is, but there's something in you that wants to keep going back to walking by sight and not, not by faith. Sustained Sustained moments in his presence will bring you to a new level of spiritual insight and guardianship of his presence. Sustained periods in his presence will give you guardianship that will increase throughout your lifetime. We have seen people who have experienced remarkable healings of God. You know, I mean, I don't even know how many people we've had cured of cancer, 
of brain tumors, of amazing things. The little boy, I think we talked about, the Down syndrome boy that was seven years old, he never spoke. He spoke for the first time after we prayed for him here. First words out of his mouth were mommy, daddy, and papa. How does that happen? It happens in the presence. It happens in the presence. But let me tell you about, I could tell you stories about other people who've experienced miraculous healings. I mean, unbelievable. And I won't even tell you what they are because I don't want to have time to the person. Unbelievable healings. And you know what they did? They got well, and then they forgot the presence. And they went out and started living their life the way they wanted to live their life. And guess what? That affliction came back on them. And I've seen, I, I could, I think of one person right now, and that person came back and said, I recognize what I did. And guess what? God restored the healing. Remember that sometimes healings are not permanent. They have to be sustained by your relationship to the presence. Some people only come back to God when things are bad. When things get good, they think they're okay and they think they can run from God again. That's an illusion. And that's what the enemy does. He brings you into illusions. So you think you're okay. Here's the doctrine of concurrence. It goes like this. God directs and works through the distinctive properties of each created thing. Now, let me just stop there a moment. God works through the distinctive properties of everything. It's not that you, we, we take things and we put them in the big, all things work together for the good. No, every thing that God is working through, there are dimensions to that thing. And what God does is he works through personalities, circumstances, and situations. There's, it's just, it's multifaceted. And what happens is sometimes we'll enter into one facet of that doctrine of concurrence and we'll miss what else God is doing. So God will bring us to a person and that person will begin to talk to us about God and what we'll do is to say, yeah, you should come to my church and we walk away. God gave you a divine appointment. God gave you a situation that he was going to take you to another level. That may have been the greatest opportunity for your lifetime and you missed it because you didn't linger long enough to understand what God was doing. You have to linger in those situations. That's the doctrine of concurrence. It goes on to say like this, so that these things themselves bring about the results that we see. You see, God works through circumstances, situations, and people to bring about, uh, bring about what he wants to do. But we can thwart what he's doing. We can delay what he's doing. But God is working in that way. Let me, let me just explain it like this. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, God says, he accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. And what's the counsel of the will of God? Imagine this scene. You've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're in counsel. Because remember, God does not, God has never been sought counsel from any of us. He knows all things as well as he knows anything else. He's never learned anything. He's never had an aha moment. He knows all things, but he counsels, he counsels within God, the Godhead, this one being three persons. They counsel together. Imagine this. And the Father says, you know, we have a problem over here with such and such. And the son says, I don't understand why I gave him the word. I gave him the greatest example. I gave my life for him. And the Holy Spirit says, you know, I think what I can do is I think I can bring the grieving of the Holy Spirit to his heart so that he weeps over what he's doing or whatever she's doing. And the father says, you know, I think that's a good idea. I said, I, but I think if I bring some, some adversity into their life, some challenges into their life, I think it will draw them back even faster. 
And the son says, you know what, I'm going to send someone through a ministering angel to bring the word to him. And you see the counsel of the will, all three persons of the Godhead working in this doctrine of concurrence, all facets of the Godhead working for just you and you and you and every one of you. So that what we find is that God is working all things together for the good when you love him. We see God calling angels on your behalf. They're called ministering spirits. Do you realize sometimes you, when you'll hear just a little voice, do you realize it's, it's a voice of an angel? Angels bring messages. You see that word, that Greek word angelos is the word, literally the word messenger. He's a messenger coming on your behalf. God will change circumstances on your behalf because he's trying to work all things together for the good because you love him. You realize God is arranging divine appointments. He's bringing people into your life that you may not see it now, but they are people that are going to be transformational in your future. You don't, you don't see it that way now, but you just go, God, let me just, here's the wisdom. God, this person came into my life. They said such and such. What does that mean? Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom above all things, Proverbs says. If you have wisdom, you have everything you need. And remember, Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, those three words are always found in a trilogy in the book of Proverbs because they represent each of the persons of the Godhead. Wisdom is the Father. Knowledge is the Son. And understanding is the Holy Spirit. So what happens when you read the book of Proverbs and you see those three words falling together all the time, it says, let wisdom speak, let the Father speak. Knowledge, what did the son say? By the word, understanding is bringing clarity. He will guide you into all truth, it says in the Gospel of John. You see how that works? Revealing your destiny. What happens is in the counsel of his will, in the presence of God, he's revealing your destiny and he's molding your character. Let me give an example of this doctrine of concurrence. Job chapter 12 and verse 23. He that is God makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. If God can do that with nations, what's he doing with you? There's nothing too great for God. Amen? How about this? Psalm 22, 28. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. If he rules over nations, he rules over individuals. Remembering what God did. You see, that, that's what the tribe of Ephraim failed to do. But when you remember what God does, he opens your eyes to the realms of the kingdom. When you remember, you go, wait a minute, I think God can do this. It's amazing to me how many times I have to just go back to, to the ABCs of faith and say, God, you said this, therefore I'm going to trust you for this. It creates an atmosphere of expectation that nothing is impossible to God. You know, when Jesus came to his disciples, he said, I have the keys to the kingdom. All right? Why do you say multiple keys? Wasn't he just talking about the key of salvation? I come in, to, I meet Jesus, and all's good? No, he says, I have the keys, multiple keys. You see, because what God does is when you go through the first door of salvation, the key of salvation, God then hands you another key if you're faithful with what he's given you, and he'll let you go into another door in the kingdom, into a deeper realm of the kingdom. And God says, there's unlimited keys. He doesn't say there's five keys to the kingdom. There's ten keys to the kingdom. It's unlimited because you cannot, you cannot ever probe the depths of the mysteries and the resources of God. You never can. God will bring things that you never, you just said, where did that come from? Where did that come from? 
God says, well, you just got into another door. You didn't know it. I like to get a vision of it, just a hallway with a million doors. One right after the other one. Not, not, like, a, not like a hotel, but just they're just one door. And I, and I can see through all the doors. And I see all of them, but all of them are locked. But I have to go through the first door. And when I get through the first door, there's a heavenly messenger that hands me another key and says, here's the key to that door. Well, God, I, I want to go all the way through all the, no, you're not ready to go through all the doors yet. You're only ready for this door, but if you're faithful with this door, I'm going to give you another key. Go through that one. I'll give you another key, another key, another key, another key. And I'm just going deeper and deeper into the presence of God. And the deeper I go into the presence of God, the more humble I am. The fewer doors I go through, the more proud I am. Because it becomes about me and not about him. So what happens is God unlocks sacred doors for you. There are doors so sacred, so special. I want to tell you a story. A friend of mine who I brought to faith in Christ, he's a, he's a Dutch guy, and I'm Dutch, you know that. And, and his, uh, his uncle is a very, very famous scientist. He was actually the guy that, that came up with the whole concept of the MRI machine. And he's with a group of a very, very specialized research people in Europe. And, uh, but his uncle, Peter, is an atheist. And they would never bring God up at the table because Uncle Peter would just ravage everybody. He was so brilliant. He would just, everybody would make dinner miserable. You know those kind of people? You know, they don't even have to be smart. They can be dumb and make dinner miserable. But, but Peter would make life miserable. And so one day Mike called uh, Peter and he says, uh, called him over in Holland. And he said, hey, uh, Uncle Peter, how you doing today? He said, oh, hey, Mikey, can I call you later? I'm on my way to church. And he says, whoa, wait a minute, Peter. No, you cannot call me later. You don't go to church. You're an atheist. He said, you got to at least tell me what's going on. He said, well, I'm with a group of 12 scientists, and we're doing things that you never hear about. I can't tell you what they are, Mikey, but I'll tell you this, that and he used this door analogy. He said, imagine that you go into a door of complexity, and that things are so complex they're so complex that no one can, realize, can figure out what to do, and you figure it out. And then you go through another door, and things become ten times more complex than the previous thing. He said, we started going through these doors of complexity and things we're working on. It got so complex that nobody in the group could understand where we were and what was going on. And ten of the twelve scientists became Christians with no preacher and no Bible and nothing, there was such a presence of God in the mystery of God's creation that 10 of us became Christians in that very moment. There are doors that God wants to take you through. Every one of us. He's got keys for every one of us. It's not crowded in his presence. There's room for all. We're in an invisible war. To win, we have to stay in the presence. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, as we pray, we, we recognize that apart from you, God, we, uh, we really can't do anything. But God, in you, God, everything, and when we say can't do anything, we mean in the eternal scheme of, of what you're up to. So, Father, right now, we, we just pray 
that every one of us will be drawn in to the presence, that we will recognize the presence in our own life. I'm going to ask you to do this while the, while the band plays. I, just, I want you just to take a few minutes right now just to talk to God. What is it you need to shift in your life? What is it that needs to change in your life? What is the love relationship you need to deepen in? Because I promise you, the Father's not angry with you. He's not an angry God. He's a loving God who just reaches out a hand. It's, it's, it's like that image of Jesus I had on the throne where he just says, would you come closer? I'm going to ask you, would you just come closer to Jesus today? The only way you may be able to say it is, is just say, Jesus, I want to come closer. I've been at the back. I felt unworthy. I felt shamed. I felt like I'm the worst follower of Christ on planet Earth. Can, you, can I just ask you to change the way you speak and the way you think? And just say, I'm a child of the living God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. And I am deeply and richly loved. And I, I don't come close to the throne because I'm worthy. I come close to the throne because Jesus is worthy. Can you feel him draw you right now? It's like a magnet. He just draws you close into him. So would you just come close to me? Sometimes I, I get up and I'm, I pray and I walk when I pray and I, I just imagine that Jesus is on the other side of the room and he just says, would you come unto me? I keep inviting him to come my side of the room. He says, no, would you come unto me? Would you come over here? Would you come over here so, so I know that you really want to be with me? And it's funny how my feet get stuck and I don't want to move. And I, and I say, God, I don't want to move. He says, no, come unto me. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I believe there's really power in just letting your faith become a verb and not just a noun. When you actually put action to your feet, to your heart. If you'd like to draw closer unto God, I'm just going to ask you to slip out from where you're standing or, or seated and just come here to the front and just, just say, God, I just want to draw close. I want this to be an emblem just a, a symbol of my desire to draw close unto you. Just come up close and just remember, we want it crowded. We want it crowded in the presence of God. Just pack in here tight to the front. Just come in close. Make room for everybody. Get up close and just imagine that it's an, it's an eternal heavenly scene and Jesus is there and, and he says to all, would you come unto me? If you're thirsty, come to the living water. If you're hungry, come to the living bread. If you want to have life, come to, the, to the, the giver of life. Come. Just press in. Press in. Press into him. Jesus, I want to be close to you. Some of you right now are just feeling unworthy. Would you just cast that away? Jesus doesn't see you as unworthy. Your hurt, your pain, your conflicts of the past may make you feel unworthy. You're not unworthy. You are deeply loved by the Father. God, I just sense there's a spirit of unworthiness on some people today. Maybe it's just 
a tragedy that happened in childhood. Maybe an abuse that happened in childhood or in your teenage years. Would you just cast into the hands of Jesus right now? Would you just say, Jesus, I can't handle this anymore. I feel unworthy not because of anything I did, but because something was done to me. Would you just cast in the hands of Jesus right now? Would you just feel restored? Would you just feel the Father put his arms around you? Can you feel the, the arms of Jesus wrapping around you now, holding you tight? He's holding you so tight right now. It's one of those embraces that we get sometimes. We say, that's just too long. But it's not too long when it's coming from Jesus. He's holding you tight right now. You can, you can literally feel his breath on your neck. And then you feel a tear run down his face, and it cascades off of your cheek. Because he loves you so much. And then he speaks those words. You are my child. You are my child. And I love you with a, a never-ending love. Be strengthened, be comforted, be filled with your purpose and your destiny and your joy. All shame is gone. All joy is given. Father, these who've gathered here at the front, Father, they've gathered for a reason, God. I ask right now just for a blanket of worthiness to be poured over everyone here, God. Would you just feel worthy right now? Would you just feel worthy because the Lamb was worthy, who has shed his blood, who was buried, who rose from the dead, whoever lives to make intercession for the saints, who quiets the voice of the enemy, who accuses the brother in day and night, and he says it's under the blood, it's under the blood, it's under the blood, it's under the blood, it's under the blood. And now be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Just, just be filled with his spirit, a spirit of comfort, a spirit of joy, a spirit of life, a spirit of joy. Just be filled with the spirit of joy. And now just ask God just to seal all your decisions right now. Holy Spirit, would you just seal that decision? Don't let me ever go back. Just seal that decision right now, Jesus. Just seal it right now, Jesus. I don't know why. I just feel like God is showing me that... Um, There's just, there's just somebody that just feels like they can't, they're just tired of competing. Just tired of competing. They're in competition. And they've tried to choose a different path to avoid the competition. I want you to know you don't have to compete for anything. You, you already won the race. You are a victor. You're wearing a crown right now, man. You're wearing a crown. Just give God the glory. Amen. Give God the glory. Just put your hands together. Give God the glory. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to have Stephen sing through this uh, this song and uh, just one time, and then because I want us just to sing, I want I want us to put joy in our mouth and and uh, God, we love all you guys. What a great body God is building here, and the great people God has given us, and and uh, just thank you for the privilege of letting me serve and. And Tammy and I serve and all of our staff to serve you. And 
Can we just, Stephen, let's just sing through this verse one time. Can we do that?